Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Paltra, and welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm here with the saint and hero of the hour, Rob Cross. Hello, my children. <laughs> how are you doing steve i'm not too bad now how are you rob after you almost won your sainthood today yeah i'm good um I, I had to meet Stu in town to give him something for well you'll, you'll hear in about two minutes why uh but there was someone had been hit by a car right behind me when i was coming back they're okay thankfully but it, it was a little bit of a, a shock um but I, I think everyone seems fine which is the important thing <laughs> But it, it was perhaps Catholic reflexes in memory of uh, the Red Cross served him well. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I just didn't have to do anything. So I told her not to move. But uh, there's an ambulance there quite quickly. I think it actually passed you, Stu, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. We're, we live like completely opposite directions and I'm closer to the hospital. Yeah. So it just passed me. Yeah, so look, an auspicious start to the the weekend, I think, but not a not a bad one. Yeah. Um, but we're we're going to try and be positive. Um, Stu, we're doing something a little bit different for Unique Irish today, aren't we? We are indeed, Rob. We have some wonderful IPAs with us. Yes. So a little bit of background here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of craft beers in Ireland and stuff like this, and kind of my, new breweries that are opening. We've touched on this a little bit before, but look this is it so one of our local pubs called mother max here in limerick a fine institution if you are ever in the city it has the joint best pint of guinness in limerick along with jj bowls uh but they also do like a load of craft beers both uh treaty city and other ones from limerick and also from you know everywhere from across ireland and america and they put up a picture stew and of this new beer that they got and i had to had to go out and get it because i figured this is perfect for our podcast so we talked a little bit before that like some like americans drink like green dyed beer for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I think I had that once when I was yeah. in Germany. It's rotten. I mean, like just I don't get it. I mean, it was probably around St. Patrick's Day, but why the hell just off a green beer looks unappetizing, really? I think it's just not something we really like we we would really drink here even on St. Patrick's Day. Like, I mean, my nana might make a bit of green jelly for St. Patrick's Day stew, but that that's about the extent of it. Um, yeah, but it's not really something here. But we have something that is green, but it's not just green flavored beer stew. Um, we have Shamrock Shape, sorry, sorry, Shamrock Shake, I should say, ice cream ale. Uh, it's an IPA specifically, India Pale Ale. And this is by the White Hag Brewery. Uh, they're in Ireland. I believe they're up in County Sligo. Oh, yeah, Ballymote, County Sligo, up in the west of the country. And um, I saw the, I saw this and I figured, Jesus, we have to review this because it's um, it, it's something. Um, I also got to do something else from this brewery as well, which we'll be reviewing next week. It's, it's another kind of, you know, I suppose, St. Patrick's Day limited edition kind of a product, but it'll be a little bit different. So we're going to we're going to crack these open. And we're going to try them um, uh, for the first time for our listeners' delight, our, our displeasure. <laughs> so, like we, without, I said, we haven't tried these yet. We really don't know what they're going to be like. Um, you know, we, we, we just figured let's just do it on the podcast and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Rob, since you have the better mic, will you yeah, give I'm us a gonna, proper can crack? I'm going to try. I'm not going to keep this too close to the mic because I don't want it to like fizz everywhere. Just in case. Just in case. I'll, 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 I'll just move the mic back a tiny bit. Brand. perfect um okay All right, well i'm gonna pour this into a glass certainly but oh it's very minty smells too jesus very yeah i'm strong. getting that myself now Whoa. okay this is oh this is very very green as well like this is like um a luminous like remember green powerade it looks like that but slightly fizzy <laughs> it's incredibly green. yeah yeah kind of it does remind me a little bit of those horribly just green food coloring beers but it definitely smells different yeah, like it, it's very, it's uh, it's gone kind of almost an emerald kind of green. It's a little bit cloudy. Uh, it's not entirely opaque. Um, 
got it, it even has a green foam on it but oh like i'm slightly i'm slightly sitting slightly away from it now while like it's settling but like i can get the the, the, the real strong smell of mint is just kind of filling the room almost. yeah like i think it, it almost looks like the color of uh one of those awful energy milk energy oh, shakes yeah. you'd get or whatever smoothie a protein shake like celery and stuff so yeah yeah so this K- is, i think that's the big thing yeah so anyway this is the description from it um for this uh, spree series, we'll launch a bunch of beers. So this is specifically for, um, say, Patrick's Day. It is a celebration of beer first conceived by Ronald and his buddies at the Big M for a natural ho- our national holiday. Sorry, Expect aromatic mint on the nose, followed by a cool lingering peppermint flavor and a creamy, soft, milkshakey body. Also, it's great. <laughs> Like this is a an IPA from what I can see here, and um, it is five point five percent alcohol by volume, and it's only one of the, we we got like the little baby cans here. It's like you kind of coat like three thirty milliliters. Yeah, so I guess we're going to um, we'll give this yeah, a it's go. time to drink, Rob. Yeah, well, let me let me put a bit more in. Let me settle this right. Well, bottoms up. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely getting the mint uh, pe- peppermint. I would. Oh say. yeah. It- mm. It, it, it's not exactly what I expect out of a beer. No, it's it's. I, I don't think I've ever had a minty beer before, Stu. This is certainly a first. It's. Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the weirdest part about it is that heavy mint flavor to it. Yeah, because it's it's actually like my mouth is like really minty now. I can feel it on my like you feel like a slight kind of um like a kind of chill feeling on your tongue if you know what I mean. Like you have something yeah. very minty. It's like that. My mouth is entirely minty now, and it's um it's not unpleasant. It's just weird because it's minty and fizzy and liquid it, it i've never had anything like this before <laughs> yeah i don't even i wouldn't even know how to describe it really it's something you have to try for yourself really <laughs> yeah it's um it's not unpleasant it's um like i think the initial kind of hit you get in your mouth is definitely like kind of mild mint with a li- you can definitely kind of get more of the the ale kind of taste now and kind of getting the kind of more slightly hoppy i i think uh kind of taste with it as well then the the aftertaste is just very very minty along with kind of a kind of mint sensation in your mouth it's like tingling um yeah it's i don't know if it's good or bad yet it's just so unusual (laughs) yeah i think the only way we could find out rob is if we had about seven or eight of them oh god i I love it when, like it's like two <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon and we're already drinking. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Like, like I'd probably be sipping this during the rest of the podcast, but I, I, I don't think you drink this very fast, too. Um, yeah, no, I mean like five and a half isn't too strong, but it's also a bit stronger than the regular stuff we get it's like here. Special brew, be like five percent, as they say. Um, yeah, I don't know really. I don't really know what I expected there, but it's certainly very minty. That's what we can. That's what we can say. Um, yeah, it delivered on what it said in the description, at least. I heard other people describe this as like, it, it tastes like mint chocolate ice cream in like fizzy form. And I'm like, all right, I, I, I'm not really getting like the chocolate out of this at all. I know there's no... Yeah, chocolate. I wouldn't say chocolate. Yeah. I mean, I think wasn't it, the whole idea was that it's meant to be like the shamrock shake. So I can see that to an extent. I'm just trying more of it. Like, I'm not really getting... They said that there's a kind of a milkshakey kind of texture to the, the main body. I'm not really getting kind of a dairy taste to it. I, I'm, de- like, I'm getting a little bit maybe it's my imagination almost but like there's definitely kind of a slight hoppiness I think to the actual ale itself that you're kind of getting but um, I'm not getting like a, a milkshakey texture but um, it's alright you know I, I, don't, I wouldn't order a full pint of it in a pub I, I think that's fair to say I think like as the, the little cans it comes in is probably fine but it's um, yeah, yeah, something it's, to try once and if you were really into your craft beer minty beer I don't like. Yeah. Is is that a thing? Is like mint beer popular in places? Like, is I've tried some weird types of beers before. Like, you know, um, like yeast stouts that come from Russia, and they're like kind of taste like bread almost. Oh. They're, they're they're quite odd. I remember I you had the uh, the normal ice cream beer before. Yes, yes, I did. That was very sweet, though. This this isn't as sweet. Um, I don't think. Or maybe it is sweet and the mint is just overpowering it. Um, yeah, like it's like, look, it's not bad. I mean, if it, I, I like, I like, I really like mint, but I, I don't know. This is just such a weird combination of things to go with it. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely interesting. But kind of a two and a half out of five for me. Maybe it'll grow on me more, but I'm drinking this. I don't know. But uh, we we have another one for next week, so so don't worry. It it's a, it'll be a stout um of, of a similar a similar kind of a thing um yeah <laughs> yeah like as we were kind of chatting about before the podcast there are uh, quite a few craft breweries building their way up in ireland i mean even uh, i think i mentioned guinness have gotten in on it with their west indies brand 
Yeah, they do a West Indies porter, which is sort of reminiscent of the the export porter, which is porter slightly lighter than a stout, so be wouldn't be as heavy on your stomach as a Guin- as a normal Guinness would be. It's kind of designed for the one there. I've had it before; it's quite nice. It's kind of got a, a lighter kind of caramelly taste to to a Guinness. It's a little bit sweeter, and uh, not not bad. You know, I I I certainly like it. Um. They used to do kind of a series in pubs for a little bit where they did like special types of Guinness on tap. They did a Dublin porter, uh, which was basically them trying to do the, the the original way Guinness was as a porter as opposed to a stout, a little bit lighter. And I really, really like that. There was only one place in Limerick that did it. Uh, this this was probably about, I don't know, five years ago. And I, I think I drank them out of it because I was, <laughs> they said I was like the only person that always got like pints of it. But it was, it was, it was very nice. Yeah. No surprise to yeah. any of us. But as, as Rob said, like we have, you know, we have Treaty City here and um, you know, the Galway Brewing Company as well. It's kind of Galway Bay Brewing. Yeah. I think up. I've talked about them. They actually have a few pubs around the country. Um, they had one in Limerick. I don't. They don't own it anymore. But I'm sure, all the pubs are shut now. But they have one in Dublin on Wexford Street. I think I didn't realize it was a Galway Bay pub, and I went in because I asked for a Guinness, and they said we we don't do Guinness here. And I was like, I see pub in Ireland that doesn't do Guinness. Well, there's a first time for everything. There's a Loudons as well out there out in Clare. Um, they did a very nice pale ale actually a couple of years back. They went into producing the hand sanitizer during COVID instead of like producing alcohol. Yeah, which is very good of them. A bunch of other places in Ireland did do that as well. So just just a shout out to them. Um. You got these guys. We said the the White Hag Brewing Company. They're up in Schlego. I I we, we did, I got like the Shamrock Shake Ale that we're drinking at the moment. But I I had to make like an order that was above like twenty five quid to deliver to me because I there, there was no like there's nowhere down this side of the country that actually has them like in, in a shop or something. So I had to get it delivered. I had a Mexican hot chocolate stout. So it was like um kind of very chocolatey dark chocolate kind of a stout, but it had like kind of a very a very kind of strong cinnamon flavor to it. So you actually and a bit of chili so you actually got like a bit of not burning but kind of warmed at the back of your throat and on your tongue when you were drinking it almost like if you have some whiskey or something like that we also have treaty city based in limerick treaty city brewery they, they were doing tours before the lockdown yeah there's, so there's a lot in ireland though we won't go into too much detail in it but um i think the, the craft beer kind of ex- ex- explosion of the last few years certainly didn't leave ireland behind so i suppose with that done we'll jump into the report for today, which is going to be on the very man himself, St. Patrick, since St. Patrick's Day is on the horizon. Oh, there's actually a slight bitterness to this beer now, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get, I guess it's getting, it's getting more bitter the more I drink it. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. You just have to drink it faster, Rob. It's exposed to the air. I'm trying. It's, it's like you can't exactly trick this fast. It's so minty. <laughs> Shot in a can, Rob. Oh, that's what it is. Right. So we'll start off with a few of the basics anyway. So St. Patrick is obviously the patron saint of Ireland and credited with bringing Christianity to the Irish people. He was never officially canonized because during the time where he was active, canonization wasn't a thing. There was no process by which you could become a saint, but he is still regarded as a saint in both the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox and is known to be equal to the apostles and enlightener of Ireland. And I had never really heard that before, Rob. What do you think? Equal to the apostles is a pretty big statement to be making about someone. Uh, well, yes. I, I don't know. If, I don't think St. Patrick was there with Jesus in the Levant back in the day, Stu. Um, not, not from the information I've seen anyway. Yeah, but it's just like even being said that he was equal to them. I suppose it's interesting. I mean, like he, St. Patrick is our national saint here in Ireland. Uh, one of them, you know, they get uh, St. Bridget as well. But um, yeah, like I, I, I think it's like it, certainly in, in these these islands, you know, you'd have St. Patrick here, you've, you've St. George in um, England, um, is it St. Andrew in Scotland, I believe? I can't. I think it's St. David in Wales. The the cross of each of those saints was on the flag, the the English flag with the red cross. That's the uh, the uh, St. George's cross. And, you know, the the kind of X symbol on the Scottish, that's the St. Andrew's cross. And we have the St. Patrick's cross as well, which is, you can see it on the, on the Union flag itself. It's kind of the red X sign that's on top. It's the sort of unofficial, if you will, flag of Northern Ireland as well. Yeah, but I think the, uh, the, most, um, the most widely held misunderstanding people have about St. Patrick is that it was not actually born in Ireland. No, that's right. It's, um, I think it was a question on QI, the British kind of panel show a couple of years back and Darrow Breen, who was an Irish comedian, was on. And uh, I think Stephen probably went, now, Darrow, maybe you'll, you'll know the answer to this one. So that's the old Peter Lab going. was like, name a saint born in Ireland. And everyone's St. Patrick. And that was the wrong answer. And like, oh, Darrow yeah, Breen was like, oh, I know that. Like, he was able to say like St. Bridget, St. Brendan. 
Um, you know, a, a bunch of other saints that were born in Ireland. There's, we, we plenty of saints that were born here, Stu. It's, um, I, it seems like there's a, there's a well associated with the saint almost at the end of every country road out, out in some parts. Yeah, pretty of, much. Out, out sure. in the West. I'm not too far away from Patrick's well myself. I, I'm not too far from uh, St. Patrick's bed, uh, which is just out the road from me a little bit. It's an island in the middle of the River Shannon where St. Patrick <laughs> apparently slept once. Oh, right. um, that's what yeah, so he was not actually born in Ireland. He was born in Britain, according to some people. Uh, it's, I mean, looking into this, it was kind of crazy. I th- heard one theory that he might have actually been French. Well, you th- see, the, the idea behind that was I did look into this a little bit as well, and it's something that I was told. It was he was born in Britain, but northwest of France is of Brittany. And it's actually one of the six Celtic nations. So the six Celtic nations are uh, Ireland, uh, Wales, Scotland, the Isle of Man, Cornwall, uh, as part of uh, kind of south, southeast, southwestern, sorry, England, and then Brittany in the north of France. Right. But with St. Patrick, there's a lot of mystery to him. I mean, as I said, he was actually born in Britain, but we're not sure where. It could have been France. And they're not entirely sure of the dates when he was born either. Yeah. Uh, it was sometime in the 5th century, but th- there's no way of pinning down exactly when. What we do know is that his father was a man named Calpurnius, uh, yeah. who was a deacon, uh, which I-, I found may have just been for tax incentives. I don't know how you can cast that level of shade on a guy from 1500 years ago, but they've done yeah, it. Yeah, so I suppose like a deacon at the time would have been kind of below a priest in the church hierarchy. So they, they would like have some duties but they like they wouldn't be able to like, perform sacraments yeah. or things like that. And obviously he was allowed to, to like, marry, have a family and things like that. The other surprising thing is Patrick himself, when he was a young man, he actually was not much of a believer. So nope. considering where he ended up, humble beginnings, shall we say? Yeah, um, I think he was he was quite impoverished kind of growing up is, is what we were told. Um, like he, he wasn't like, you know, not, not, not living the high life by any means. Yeah. Yeah. So when he was 16, he was kidnapped by Irish pirates and taken back to Ireland. Now, just as a quick side note for something that would probably become a, a future report, just looking into it, because I was curious Like Irish pirates sounds a bit odd, but then looking into it, apparently Ireland has a massive history of piracy. I mean, I knew of Grace O'Malley, the pirate queen, but like apparently for a time... Cork City was like a pirate republic with its own currency. That's that's very true. Yeah, there 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 are some aspects of it. Um, you know, there's like there are some wild stories involving piracy in Ireland. Like there was an entire village in outside Cork City that was actually kidnapped by Barbary pirates and brought to Africa as slaves. Um, you know, and things like that. But like, yeah, we were involved. You know. It, 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 some people saw it as a way of, you know, um, getting at the, the English Navy at the time, which was, you yeah, know, but, it's, uh, it's a pastime of ours, isn't I it? I think Stu? all I really want now is for the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie to just end up in Cork for a little while. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> right. So back to the, the story anyway. So in Ireland as a slave, he was given the task of herding sheep, which I think most people know. The location is not known, but was probably a mountain in Mayo. Once again, it's just another part of the mystery that is what Patrick did in these earlier days. And uh, while there in relative isolation, he had a lot of time to contemplate. And in that time, his faith in God grew, which I think is how we all know the story goes. There was one um, funny thing about the story that I, I people think that it might have been a fabrication of Patrick's himself, because at the time, I think the curates, a lot of them, because what is yeah. it? Britain was controlled by Rome at the time. And so they had curious there and, Deacon's children had to kind of go into public office and a lot of them fled because they didn't want to. And they think that maybe Patrick was one of them. I think it was called the Flight of the Curials because just the whole slavery story and then escaping later on kind of is a little odd, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, you can just be a slave for six years and then walk off it, yeah there's there were different attitudes towards slavery and there were different like levels of it almost it, it's quite complicated um like this this period in i i, I hesitate to use the term british because the concept of britain like the island of great britain was there but it wasn't called that it was it, there wasn't even like a, a kingdom yeah. of england at the time as well they were all kind of minor kingdoms and there were areas i i you'll have to correct me i I stand to be corrected on this like this part of english history is not my specialty but i know like a little bit about i think there were like danish kingdoms there or that may have been later and but they were all like it was like wessex and east anglia who or anglia and they were all like Mm -hmm. kind of different 
warring factions and things like that but something that t- yeah i wouldn't be the the best person to tell you about that the most i know is coming from that tv show vikings where they live in england yeah, for a bit like, but certainly something that is that does hold true is that there was always kind of a fight between rome and the kind of english kings and rulers uh, about yeah. who gets to you know like who gets to appoint bishops and who gets to Get the, it was mostly the money that the church was collecting was there was always kind of a sore point because the king was like well I, I could take some of that you know to um you know do up do up the old castle or, or things like that or go or go off on a nice old trip there somewhere yeah get a nice uh wife from yeah. a, a a king in europe or something like that and the pope was like oh, no, i think it should be going back to me now you know this, this vatican doesn't uh doesn't pay for itself you know um so there was always kind of d- d- things over that i know the uh, the main one was about who, who got to appoint the Archbishop of Canterbury. Did the king get to get someone he liked, or did the Pope get to pick someone? And so there, there, there was there was basically always a little bit of religious tension between yeah. what what is the United Kingdom today and Rome. Uh, obviously, I think there still is Rome. Well, they, they I, I think they've largely left uh, the Roman Catholic Church in England, <laughs> in England and Scotland. Certainly, um, the North is a different. Story. Uh, we'll jump back into it. So he spent six long years in the mountains until one night he dreamt of a voice telling him it was time to leave Ireland and return home. To do so, he walked two hundred miles to the Irish coast and found a captain who, after some persuading, agreed to take him to Britain. Which is a bit. That's kind of the part that people have contention with. Apparently there is a story in Exodus that I did not read, but has a similar kind of being brought into slavery and then escaping and coming back. But well, it, just, it, it seems a bit wild that he just wandered off 200 miles it's not away. It's similar to the story of Moses, I I suppose, like leading the Israelites to freedom who were, who oh, were yeah, slaves. I, I, I think that's kind of what they're maybe going for. Yeah, I remember what we were told in school was that when he he was taken as a slave by a fellow whose name I can't recall, and he was basically made to work up a mountain. And um, like, I think he was like herding sheep or something like that. And um, your man was like treating him like crap. And then like he heard the voice of God, like you said there. And he's like, Patrick, go off there and uh, go home and uh, you're going to be a bishop and uh, you're going to convert the people of Ireland to Christianity. And uh, also there's a lot of snakes there. You should probably do something about that. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, he had he had a number of kind of visions or, or mm. hearings from God that happened later on in his life so he eventually made it home to his family now in his early 20s and uh, he started to study catholicism so like the the story even of, of getting home is wild i mean i think wherever they landed in england like he, he spent like 30 days or something walking back to wherever the hell he lived i think at one point uh i read that he was kind of telling the the other uh, shipmates who were walking with him in whatever direction they were going to uh you know, put their faith in God and they started to starve and yeah. he, he prayed and that the next day they found a boar and killed it. And so that kind of, you know, that's kind of the start of his kind of almost uh, saintly mysticism. It's very, it is quite similar to the story of Moses, I guess, like when the, the Israel, like he led the Israelites into the desert um, out of uh, slavery uh, under the Pharaoh. And like they were there and say, like, ah, oh, we're starving. And he prayed and they got the, you know, the, the manna from heaven, as, as they call it. And they found it and were able to eat it. Um, it was like bread or something, I think. But uh, I, I'd like yeah. to briefly mention as well, it's something we can probably talk about in another episode, but the uh, St. Patrick obviously comes back to Ireland and helps set up a church. But uh, the Celtic church is what it was called at the time was actually ended up being quite different from the Roman Catholic church and the kind of way they did things. And they sort of not really had their own way of doing things, but they kind of did just because they, they weren't like missionaries coming and things like that. So they had their own practices and things like that. And eventually when the English took us over in, in you know, um, 1169 the pope was like right we really gotta get get rid of some of these practices you're after picking up there where the hell did you come up with them um my favorite is they they had to they made one of the haircuts that monks got it's, it's called a tonsure you know like you see like the monks have like part of their head shaved yeah it's got a tonsure it's i think it's supposed to like represent like a halo that you yeah. see on like angels of being close to god but there was an irish version of this that apparently was banned we don't know what it looks like but all we know is that they had invented their own type of tonsure we don't know what it is come on rob we we absolutely know what it was like because we live in ireland today so it was a ball cut with the fade down the edges. <laughs> it's what every Irish dickhead gets. I've actually read somewhere that they, they were trying to kind of work because there's nothing that specifically says what it was like. 
you know, it was just like, you know, that one you have in Ireland, yeah, don't do that anymore. Do do the tonsure the correct way with like, you know, shaving the back of your head and you have to like use a pumice stone to kind of keep it bald. But I think someone speculated that it, it was actually like um, you, you'd shave the front and back of your head. So like the you had like almost a, a sideways mohawk. Interesting. Go, Maybe going we across could bring that back. I mean, look, we're in quarantine still. It's not like we're uh, we're going anywhere, so no one will see the haircuts. Uh, that's what they speculated. It's certainly <laughs> a look, Stu. I'll give you that. <laughs> with the way my hair is falling out, I think I probably could get away with that. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah, Patrick had another vision, this time of an angel he named Victorious, who gave him a letter. I mean, it, it's a bit of a wild story, but he gave him a letter, which upon reading, he heard the voice of the people of Ireland saying, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. So it, it's a bit of a, a weird, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's very weird that an angel came to him to give him a letter, but then upon reading the letter, he heard the voice of the Irish people. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's just like, a, like the angel's like, oh, what, what what have you to say to me, angel? Oh, here's a letter. This will tell you everything you need to know. And he opens it. It's like, it just, just says, listen, it's just like hearing the Irish people. It's like, and the angel's like, couldn't, couldn't you just told me that? It's like, yeah, it's what God wanted. Yeah. Not up to me. It's like a mailman comes to your door and you get a letter from someone saying, go to the phone. And then you go to the phone. <laughs> What's the point? And the, on the other end of the phone, they're like, check your email. That's the kind of weird logic that they, that God is apparently into, just messing with people. So after 15 years, he was finally ordained as a priest and returned to Ireland as a missionary. His ship landed in Wicklow, but he was not welcome there and the ship was sent away. It said that he stayed a few days. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Days on yep. an island near Skerries, which now bears his name, so Inish Patrick. So then we have seen it. I haven't been yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, look, it's probably I think it's a lovely island birds. or something like that. Or maybe I'm thinking of another island, but there, there's like an island up that direction that has like a load of protected species on it. Not sure. Right. So then we have like his time in Ireland. So what set Patrick apart from other missionaries who had come to Ireland before him is that Patrick had an understanding of Irish culture and language. In the great tradition of the Catholic yep. Church, Patrick co-opted these aspects of Irish culture and belief to convert the locals to Catholicism. We learned before about Lunasa and the bonfires the Irish would light for the gods. Patrick brought bonfires into the celebration of Easter, which made it more understandable to the non-Catholic Irish. Yeah, and then the other thing he did as well was the our, our famous kind of national symbol, the shamrock with the three leaves. It was something else. He... Oh, I have that there next. Oh, sorry, I wasn't sure if you were going to say. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't. Yeah, I won't no, spoil it. But you kind of, you kind of, it's like what you do like in a lot of places with the church. They would kind of be like. How can I explain this like concept to these people when they don't have any kind of concept or understanding of kind of Christianity or like monotheism? Like there's only one God and not multiple. So yeah, they kind of say, oh, what are they? What are they doing there? It's like, oh, well, see, yeah, what you know, that that thing you're doing there? It's not a million miles away from Christianity. Well, why don't I use this as an example? And over time, that the beliefs kind of merge. There's kind of a different flavor, maybe, of Catholicism in those areas. Um, you know. So you, you, you kind of see that. Yeah, like you can see how it kind of became more palatable to them. It's like, it's not for your God you're, ma- you're making these bonfires. It's for my God. Yeah, well, so, sort of. I mean, you, you kind of see it in, in a few places like in Africa where they almost have, um, they, they've kind of put in their own kind of belief systems, like forms of, forms like ancestor worship and kind of praising nature itself as almost kind of a, a spirit. And then sort of being like, oh, see, God is doing those type of things so therefore we can still do our practices but we're not we're praising god for giving us 
like this nice nature and giving us like these animals and food as opposed to praying to nature itself as almost like a deity. So it's, you know, things like that. Yeah. So Patrick also helped create two of the most well-known symbols of Irish Catholicism. The first one being the Celtic cross. So the sun was very important uh, to the Irish people and their gods. And by superimposing the sun into the crucifix, he made this new symbol that was much more palatable to the Irish people and helped to convert them. It is. It, it, it's uh, quite unfortunate that symbol, because you'd see it all over graveyards in this country. It's very common, has been co-opted by some extreme extremist people, particularly in America, who want to use it as like part of you know, this white pride heritage thing. Um, quite frankly, I'll say to you now, fuck off if you're going to use our symbols for spreading hatred and things like that. Um, you know, it's it, it's 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 an un-Irish, on you know, un, certainly un-Christian thing to be, you know, saying you're superior to other races and things like that. It, it just it just really really pisses me off that a symbol like that is being used for you know white nationalism and things like that. It's fucking disgraceful quite frankly yeah i mean like the thing with yeah. the thing with the irish is that like we spent so much of our history just trying to be treated as equal but then for certain people in other countries who claim to be irish they don't get that and so think that they can do it to other yeah, it's people just, look i mean it's it's just like it, it it really pisses me off that that like in america if i were to like you know, i have a, a teacher like has one from like a father ted thing on it has a celtic cross on it and i was thinking if i wore that in america some people might think i have certain views because of its associations with like things over there and it's yeah it's a damn shame like i, w- I will say to like if the, to some of our american listeners like it that isn't seen as being a symbol of hate or anything in this country it's just part of our yeah. heritage like you'd see it over the graveyard i mean imagine, I, I would refuse. yeah imagine wandering through the graveyards and just thinking <laughs> there's a racist there's another racist it's like people who lived 200 years ago yeah, like it but look i mean I, I don't want to make a massive deal about it but i mean like look it's um that symbol means something very different in this country i i wasn't even aware of like the other connotations it could even have until like maybe maybe two three years ago when you know you see people like with these tattoos and a bunch of other things i won't say but you, you get the you get the gist of it and spreading their beliefs and it's like yeah mate that's you know it, it's just based on lies and it's like, oh you see the irish were slaves as well and it's like that's uh, not that's not entirely true no I, I wouldn't i wouldn't categorize it as such but we're that's it that's a debate for another day i think Stu. but uh, just to specifically say about the celtic cross <laughs> yeah. fuck off if you're going to use it for misrepresenting our identity and culture like that um you absolute pricks yeah and that's coming from rob cross so he knows <laughs> it's like it's like my family we, <laughs> see, we were when we were picking our names it was like we're like oh no we'll, we'll keep an eye on these things yeah great grandpappy um, celtic cross yeah um I believe the if you look up like the Latin motto of my family's name. Now I don't think it's my family's name because I'm pretty sure we came from Scotland. But anyway, and it's like it's like something in Latin. It translates as like as long as I have faith, I will abide by the cross. Which, when you think about it, is actually a pun based on our name. Yeah, yeah, you have to abide like, by if yourself. If you look into like the origin of it, it's generally either it comes from someone that lived on a crossroads, you know, and they were just like, oh, he's the man that lives by the crossroads, the cross family, if you will, or is someone that had an association with the church. For, like, so it was a cross from religious things. So I'm not exactly sure where, because I can, you, it, you know, you can trace back so far in, in this country as we discussed, like our records were destroyed during the, the War of Independence, sorry, the Civil War in, in Dublin, because the records office got kind of got burned down because it was next to the four courts that were being shelled at the time. Uh, so it's it's a bit harder. So we're not too sure, but sure, look, there you go. Yeah. Right. I suppose back to the story. The most well-known of his tra- transformative symbols, uh, which once again may be more legend than actual fact, is the shamrock. So in an attempt to help the pagan Irish comprehend the Holy Trinity of Father, Son and Holy Ghost, using the three leaves of the shamrock as part of the one plant. So fairly self-explanatory. But the thing is that it might have actually been easily understood by the Irish as some of the old Celtic gods were actually three deities worshipped as one god. So it kind of it would have been easier for them to understand. And so obviously the shamrock went on to become one of the most recognisable symbols of Ireland alongside the harp and the pint of Guinness. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is. It, it's a very common symbol, I think, for, for Ireland. I mean, we're literally drinking shamrock shake beer now at the moment, Stu. Well, I, I still am. It's getting it's getting yeah. a bit sweeter again. It, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the temperature in my room or something, but it's gone from bitter to sweet. But still very minty. No, maybe the sugar settled to the know. bottom. Um, But... um. Yeah, 
but yeah, it's a very common Irish symbol. I mean, the whole the three leaves on it were the you know the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, is what he used to explain to the Irish people is what we were taught in in school. Um, you know, and um, yeah, it's an Irish symbol. I mean, it, it's just so common, and you know, you can put them in milkshakes as well, apparently. Oh yeah, delicious shamrocky milkshakes. So the big question then is, how was Patrick actually received in Ireland? Patrick travelled all over Ireland, gathering followers, baptizing the newly converted, and ordaining others to say mass and convert others. However, he was in constant danger and was often met with anger and suspicion from local people. He gave gifts to various kings and judges to gain their favor, but would never accept gifts in return from any of them, which for a lot of the kings and judges was actually seen as an insult. So on one occasion, he was actually beaten, robbed and chained up. And on another, a king had many of his converts killed or kidnapped. So really not a great time for Patrick in Ireland. No, I, I, I don't think so. There was certainly a lot of... Um questionable things going on at the time um we were under our old um uh, breton laws i suppose at the time they were kind of our customary kind of laws that were sort of almost like hereditary judges um so there were certain rules about that yeah. and they're, they're like permitted slavery and things like that uh, women did actually have reasonable rights under these things like divorce was permissible and they could own their own land from what i understand so it's 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 quite interesting if you look into it. And there were all different decrees of kings that we talked about, like the high king before, and you know there were different levels of kings across uh, different areas and like you know, provinces and things like that. So yeah, it was it was quite a complicated system in one regard, yeah. but they had sort of their own laws and customs that kind of made it all work together. Yeah. So part of that is actually the druids, and so it's actually said that the druids of Ireland predicted that Patrick and others would come to Ireland to convert the people. And I have a little quote from them, but first I will prep that adzy head is apparently a type of axe head and uh they're not great at rhyming so across the sea will come adzy head crazed in the head his cloak with hole for the head his stick bent in the head he will chant impieties from a table in the front of his house all his people will answer so be it so be it Ew, what about the snakes get rid of the snakes <laughs> i'm coming to that later on <laughs> yeah so apparently the druids had predicted patrick's coming and uh had a little rhyme for it yeah i mean uh the the prophecy foretold it's too but you know i think uh i, I suppose in a way it's kind of a, a tradition to uh rhyme certain words with the same word in ireland remember old uh nailers rob <laughs> 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 This is this is such a, a a very particular reference that no one outside of a certain people group of people from Limerick are going to get. Started. Yeah, no, there was a, a a Limerick rapper who uh who posted his videos onto YouTube, and I can't remember what word, but he rhymed he, like I think he rhymed machine gun with machine something gun. like that. Yeah, but it was just ridiculous. You know, <laughs> we had a bit of a laugh about that, but yeah, I think oh man, I think the druids have him beat with uh, rhyming the word head four times. Yeah. Well, I mean they. It, there was there was quite a complicated series of um uh, things or irish poetry at the time like we had you know proper like basically universities that you, you went to go and study how to do irish poetry <laughs> later on so yeah they're, they're quite complicated irish uh poetic patterns and things like that we we won't go into them now because i'm not an expert on it yeah i mean Maybe I read it wrong. Maybe I read it wrong, Rob. And there's some some cadence that I needed to have adopted to get it to all rhyme properly. Well, I don't think we. I don't think either of us. Neither of us speak anywhere <laughs> near fluent Irish, let alone fluent what I presume would be early. I don't even think early modern Irish, like probably middle Irish at that point, or old Irish. I have no idea. <laughs> not not a linguist. Yeah. yeah. So then after his works in Ireland, he retired to Saul in Britain, where he wrote Confessio, which is basically his autobiography. Uh, it can actually be found to read in its original Latin and in many other languages. And you have like photos of every page, which is a little cool. There he received another vision from an angel who told him that he would die in Saul, which is the site of yeah. his first church. Unfortunately for him, because he actually wanted to die in Ireland. But uh, yeah, yeah, he ended up coming back here. Yeah, unless you believe that uh, that thing that I, I have vague memories of from like an Irish textbook in, in secondary school, which said that that's right. Patrick, <laughs> there, there's some like city or town in Mexico that believes that they got St. Patrick's body because he was buried at sea 
And so they have like a week long St. Patrick's Day celebration. Yeah, I mean, like there is, there is quite a good Irish connection in Mexico. There was Irish people fought, um, I think, in both sides of the various Mexican civil wars over the years. There was a St. Patrick's Brigade in the Mexican army. There was a St. Patrick's Day, uh, sorry, a St. Patrick's Brigade. Uh, a, lot, a lot of armies in South America had them as well. I think the Patricios, I think they were called, were quite active in the Mexican Revolution, I understand. And of course, Ireland's main contribution, Stu, to Mexico was uh, inventing Lucha Libre wrestling, which I think is I have no surprise. <laughs> yeah, that we no, I'm not saying we invented it. I'm just apparently the first guy to like wear the mask and like make that as part of um, kind of an important aspect about it was Irish. Um, there was a documentary I saw several years about. I mean, I am a big wrestling fan, as some people might know from this podcast. It's not an. I I don't really follow like Lucha Libre at all. I I, I know a little bit about it, but it maybe maybe it's something we can we can do a, a podcast about in the future. The impact of Irish on the Irish people on, on the wrestling world, which would be quite interesting, you know. Like Vince McMahon's family are are like Irish Americans, obviously. They're from Clare originally, out the road. Yeah, it might be good for something. So yeah. So then we get into. Patrick's miracles. So he supposedly performed many miracles while he traveled around Ireland. These need to be taken with like as much salt as you can carry because Irish people were storytellers by nature. And this is 1500 or more years ago. So things are going to get embellished. In one story, Patrick would carry around his ash, his ash staff with him. And while heading back to Ireland, he stopped in a town in Cumbria. He drove his staff into the ground while he evangelized to the people and Patrick took so long to get through to them that the staff took root in the ground. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's it. It's kind of a, the image we sort of have of St. Patrick in my head, Steve, would just be kind of this, um, this man, like in a green Bishop's robe and, a, and a, the, the big kind of Bishop's hat with like a big stick with a kind of a curved top on it. That's sort of the, yeah, like a crook from, uh, Shepherding was kind of the the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Because you know, it's it, it's quite it's an illusion you see quite a lot in Christianity of like you know their the, the the bishop, if you will, is like the shepherd and where his flock and he, he has to like a good shepherd and a flock must lead us to the right place, i.e., towards Christ and salvation. Yeah. So then we have another really great one because I found some background information on it. Uh, in another story, Patrick meets two of the sons of Fionn McCool who have somehow survived for however long since they were supposedly around. And I actually found an account that someone had written it in the uh, on the website, uh, Dukas. You know, Rob, we've mentioned it before, when I think it's in the yeah. 1930s, they had all the school kids go out and get old stories from the elderly in their towns. And so this is, and I, I want to read out this story because it's kind of nice, but this is like from the 1930s in a school child's copy book. And I think he said at the time, the, the guy who told him the story was like 96. Yeah. So, you know, it's practically a 200 year old story at this point. So in his travels through Connacht, Patrick made Alfion a resting station. So I think stopped at Alfion, which was a resting station. And on one occasion, when on missionary work, he is said to have met Oshin, the last of the Fina. As he, Oshin, was drawing stones on his back to the town, they were mutually interested in each other. And Patrick, after some preliminary questioning about the Fina, told Oshin the object of his visit to Alfion and asked him if he would like to be converted and baptized. Oshin, though very friendly and polite to St. Patrick, said that he would prefer to live and die in the same faith as his dead comrades, the Fina, and that he would join them wherever they were after death. Patrick then pointed out to him that probably many of them were then in hell tormented by devils. Oshin rejoined that when a number of the Fina got together, that they would fight their way out of hell and overcome the devils, as it would be impossible to subdue them. Oshin grew wrathful as he thought Patrick was casting reflections on the prowess of the Fina by saying that the devils would overcome them. But when Patrick pointed out to him that the Fina, if, there, if they were there by God's power and not by the power of devils, Oshin understood and agreed to be instructed and baptized by Patrick. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. It's um, um, <laughs> not that uncommon. This, this whole thing of, oh, you have to be baptized by this person, I suppose, comes from John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the, the Holy Gospel. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a, a fun little story. You know, you have clearly someone from Irish mythology meeting Patrick and then being persuaded to uh, to convert to Christianity, which probably, if anything, was uh, something Patrick made up to kind of spread. It's like, oh, I, I baptized Oshin, you know, he's a he's a good Catholic boy now. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, that's kind of it. Um it's like, oh, look at me, St. Patrick baptized me. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that I really want now is just <laughs> some kind of movie where the the Fina and Fionn McCool are like in hell, kicking the shit out of a load of demons. Yeah, that could work. 
or or just like uh, I could say Patrick Azumi is like confess you at the end. He's like, and he's like, oh, I didn't really have an interesting life. And uh, what happened? And uh, then we we were attacked by pirates. Yeah, that's what happened. And they got me. But Biff Bam, I sent two of them flying. And then uh, God told me to keep keep fighting. And then that happened. And then I um and then I found a bunch of snakes in Ireland and started casting them out. Yes, that's what I did. And this king asked me to baptize him. <laughs> yeah. So as Rob has mentioned. His most famous miracle is the banishing of snakes from Ireland, which we know is untrue. There were no snakes in Ireland, mostly due to the climate. Uh, the original story goes, or does say, uh, that St. Patrick actually banished all reptiles from the island. But we do have reptiles in Ireland, specifically the common yep. lizard and the, the slow worm. Plus, I mean, if you're counting the sea around Ireland, we have turtles. And I'll just say, like, I've been to the reptile house in Dublin Zoo. There are certainly at least two snakes there. Was, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, th- I think they were brought in though. These aren't residents of Ireland. I remember there was a story of fella in Limerick. So I don't know if you were there that day. Um, and I think he was talking about he had um he had a, a I think a pet snake or something. It was a big enough one. I don't know if it was like a boa or python or something like that. But like you know, one of the big ones that crushes people. You know, yeah, that'd be a boa and um, yeah, something like it might be a python. I don't know, whatever. One of those ones anyway. And um. I think he was like, there was someone uh, coming to like knock on his door, I think about the TV license inspector or something. And he was like, it was like, they didn't want to go down. And apparently whatever, whatever happened, his snake fell out of the, like the first floor window onto your man and it terrified him and he never came back. <laughs> what you're saying is Patrick is wrong and snakes are actually a oh, great God. thing for Ireland. Well, maybe. <laughs> I can't remember the rest of that. So yeah, watch out for, watch out for flying snakes in Limerick, apparently. <laughs> So the actual story goes that Patrick was actually undertaking a 40-day fast on the top of a hill, which I'm just going to assume was during Lent because it kind of makes sense being 40 days. And a horde of snakes was sent to attack him, probably by the devil. And so using his ash staff, he banished them all, chasing them into the sea. But uh, I found a few other kind of additions to the story, uh, which are just a bit more fun and cool. So another aspect is the in the story the Irish mythological creature, the Alfest, which translates to old worm. So basically we have a, a giant sea serpent that lived in the River Shannon. The creature blocks the flow of the river when it hears that Patrick has come to drive it and its kind out of Ireland, which is just way cooler in my opinion. And we should have been taught that in school where there's some giant sea serpent living in Ireland. Yeah. Um, maybe it's our Loch Ness monster, the, the Loch Derg monster, perhaps. Um, I think like, from what I read, there is some some connection there where they think that the the stories of the Alfest may have actually influenced the 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 Loch Ness monster in some way. So you're you're kind of bang on the money there, Rob. Is this is this is this going to be like something like there? You know, you get like a one of the kings gets like a knock on the door and it's Saint Patrick. They're asking for donations to build a new church. And the king was, "How much will I be?" He's like, "Oh, I need about three fifty. And it'd be about. And it was about that time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know how many people will get a South Park reference, but there, there it is anyway. So there's yeah. another story then that um, Patrick is also said to have fought with the Alfest in Loch Derg uh, in Donegal. Patrick kills the creature and its blood turns the lake water red, uh, which is supposedly where it gets the name. So Derg, Darig, Derg being the Irish word for red. Yeah, I see it. It's also it's worth noting that this isn't the same Loch Derg from the Children of Lear story. It's a separate lake in the north that the Children of Lear, Lear were swans on. This Loch Derg is out the road from us in uh, Killarney. Yeah, we're not slash Ballinac, County the, Clare, and County the Irish Tech. people aren't great um, at naming. Just worth pointing so we just kind of recycled. It caused me a lot of confusion when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, there's, like it's it's kind of funny because like there's um. On Loch Derg, there's a there's it's half it's in kind of Clare and Tipperary. It's on the border there, so the 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 Clare side of the town is called Killaloo. The um this part of it that's in Tipperary is called Ballina. Um, you, you kind of get that in a few places, like you know, there's like effectively one town and two sides of the river, and they have two separate names. Um, but like there's another Ballina up in Mayo, and that's kind of the more prominent Ballina. Some people would talk about Ballina; they generally refer to that. But if you grew up down here, you're thinking, Jesus, everyone's going out to Ballina today out in Killaloo. That's nice. So, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much all I have on St. Patrick. So I think we've covered a lot of bases there. A lot of the misconceptions about him learned a bit that even 
we don't know where the hell he came from or what re- what he really did. Yeah, that's it. And I, I, I was sorry, I was trying to, to find this thing. It was something I said on a previous podcast before about this quote, um, there's no God in two St. Patrick's. Um, I, I was trying to do a bit of digging to find out a bit more about that too. And it it, it seems like it, it's a quote actually from um, a writer in the name of Miles Nagopoulin, Miles of the Horses in Irish. But you might know him by his more right. his more famous name of uh, Flan O'Brien. Yeah, I think it was a third policeman oh, fame. right. But um, yeah, it was it was written in a column he used to write under the pseudonym of Miles Nagopoulin in the Irish Times. And it was referring to the, the, the institute in Dublin where it was basically uh, Erwin Schrodinger of um you know uh schrodinger's um uh cat fame and you know eminent theoretical physicist uh had come to ireland to you know was was offered to come here and have a bit of work and a lot of german scientists were in the late in the late 40s early 50s too um they must have been work must have been drawing up elsewhere i can't think of otherwise why they would have come to a neutral country like us but um anywho but uh yeah it was he was a, an atheist and in ireland, ireland at the time still that was um that was like he doesn't believe in god and what's he what's going on here what's what's uh, what's uh mr de Valera doing bringing this unbeliever over here so you know and then there was another guy in, in the institute that was looking into if there were two separate kind of saint patrick's because as Stu kind of said earlier there was a little bit of uncertainty about exactly when patrick was alive so there was a theory that there there the inconsistency is due to he didn't actually live as long as the full range of dates it was that there were two separate saint patrick's and it might even go into the theory that one was from uh Brittany in in france and the other was from maybe wales so that even gains in the inconsistency about where he was from. So that was it. So it was a famous quote in in his in his column was that the institute says there is no God in two Saint Patrick's, and uh, it caused a few fights. I I, I found some resource online of like a response <laughs> to it. I, I won't read. But it, it's written in a very a very Flan O'Brien uh, esque, very colourful um sort 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 of an owl thing here and it's just um he's like their brother met an old fella in Wicklow this is all written in kind of a very vernacular Irish um kind of spelling. It's like it's like spelled in the way that you would you would kind of say it with an accent. And he says, Oh he said there's no Saint Patrick. Um my brother inquired the the gentleman, well if there was no Saint Patrick, how come there are no snakes here? He was met with laughter. Yeah. I mean it's a terrible way of explaining it. But I suppose if it worked for them. Yeah, so I I you know, I, I, there, there was like an hour long lecture from a couple of years back, apparently specifically about this article thing. Um, I don't have the time to watch it, but you know, it's, it Google it and it'll come up, unfortunately. But, uh, there you go. Were there two St. Patrick's? The jury's out, Sue. Right. Now, next week, we're going to be watching I Am Patrick with John Rhys Davies. So that's going to be. Interesting. I hope it like shows Patrick fighting that massive Loch Ness monster out in Loch Derry. We can only hope, cool. but uh, I wouldn't put too much faith in that one. Well, we'll have to see. We we also have another delightful uh, drink that we will be having next week. Um, I'll, I'll spare the surprise, but it's 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 not a million miles away from what we were drinking today. Um, so we'll we'll see. Um, I don't know if my hopes are higher or lower for this one, but look, sure, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so I guess that's everything we have for today. Thanks very much for listening, guys, as always. If you enjoyed this podcast, do please tell a friend. Uh, if you have anything that you'd like to pass on to us, suggestions for movies, television shows, any feedback, if you think we got something wrong here, uh, you can contact us at BlarneyPod on Twitter, talkingblarneypod at gmail.com. Uh, do give us a shout if there's anything you'd like to say. So from me, it is goodbye. Sloan, and we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.